Starting a business and being an entrepreneur is no easy feat. That's why I asked today's guest speaker, author, and coach Mike Michalowicz to join us today on the Markeith Brayton podcast to share with us how do you design a business that's hugely profitable and runs like clockwork. You don't want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Markeith Brayton Podcast. I am Markeith Brayton, former corporate nine-to-fiver turned lifestyle entrepreneur and personal brand business strategist. Each week, I will bring you inspiring personal development content and transformative interviews of some of today's most sought-after influencers and entrepreneurs who will help you unlock your fullest potential. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let the class begin. What's up, everyone? Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Markeith Brayton Podcast. And today I have a great episode for you. I am interviewing internationally known author Mike Michalowicz. I recently met Mike at a conference in Atlanta that I attended in January. And I immediately, after having an opportunity to talk to him for a few minutes, asked him if he would be interested in being on the podcast. And he agreed to be on the podcast. So I I was so looking forward to the day that we did the interview, and we are going to be sharing that interview today. So I hope that you have your notepads out, and those of you who are small business owners or those who are interested in starting a business, this is the interview for you. Let me give you a little brief bio on who Mike is. Mike Michalowicz is the author of Profit First, Surge, and The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest release, Clockwork. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to a Fortune 500 company. Today, he is running his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit First Professionals. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and the former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Over the years, Mike has traveled the globe speaking with thousands of entrepreneurs and is here today to share the best of what he has learned. Mike's media is all over Google and all over the Internet. And if you want to learn more about him, all you have to do is Google Mike McCallowitz. But sit back, relax, and let's enjoy this interview as we move forward with today's episode. Mike McCallowitz, thank you for joining me for the Markeith Brayton Podcast. I'm excited that you have taken the time out to share with me today. And so just go ahead and introduce yourself. Let my listening audience know if they don't already know you, who you are, how you show up in the world each and every day. Markeith, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Uh, it's a joy to connect with your audience. Uh, yeah, so I'm Mike McCallowitz. Uh, I'm an author and um, for small businesses. So I've written multiple books, but uh, my background is actually entrepreneurial. I've been an entrepreneur for my entire life, my entire adult life at least. I've had the good fortune of building and selling some companies, had the bad fortune, which now I realize is the better fortune to lose all my money too after selling a couple companies through arrogance and and ignorance, uh, really destroyed myself financially and, and in many aspects of entrepreneurship. But that became an awakening for me that I know very little about entrepreneurship and decided to research it, to really become masterful at it. So what I do today is write books that quite frankly are solving my own misunderstandings and miscues 
And so book after book I write, I'm trying to resolve you know, challenges I face in my own life as an entrepreneur. And I hope to serve other entrepreneurs uh, through my books. Awesome. Awesome. And so uh, you said and mentioned, you know, small businesses, you know, why small businesses and not, you know, the, the big corporate fortune 500, 200, 100 types of businesses, which I'm sure you, I'm, you've spoken at many of those types of corporate events, but what yeah. passion do you have for small business? Yeah. The, the big events occasionally I spoke with, but they, they just aren't, I don't resonate with them. My people are small businesses. Cause that, that's what I am. I, I, I love the one person business, the, the guy who has like a hot dog stand and dreams of having 50 of them. I love the online marketer who just is working out of their basement with two other people. Like why I love micro businesses. Cause that's where I've come from. But I also believe that micro businesses are also the underdogs. You know, we're kind of shunned upon, Oh, you only have a couple employees. Oh, you're under a million dollars or whatever the thing is. You know, we are the heart of the world's economy, yet mm -hmm. we kind of get dissed. And uh, I, I won't stand for that. I don't like that. So I love micro business. I'm proud to be a small business owner. And uh, my life's mission is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. What I mean by this is, Markeith, I, I suspect it's happened for you. It's happened probably for many people listening. And the first day you start a business, your friends who have know nothing about entrepreneurship think, oh my God, Markeith, you're a millionaire now and like you don't even work. All you do is you just hang out in Nashville, you go to all the bars and you don't do anything. And there's nothing further from the truth. They believe we're here and the reality is we're way over to the other side. You know, we are working our tails off. We're not making money. We're surviving check by check. You know, the, the only margarita we, we, we drink is, is, is we fire one down just to medicate ourselves from the stress we're under. That's what I call entrepreneurial poverty, this perception of massive success and the reality of massive struggle. And so my life's purpose is to eradicate that, to, to bring us back to what the perception is. I, I believe entrepreneurs should be extraordinarily wealthy. I think entrepreneurs should have tons of time because when we achieve those things, we can be the greatest contributors to society, to, to our employees, to our friends. We can become the big contributors. I think it all starts by eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. That is so great. You know, I was sharing um, with a few people today. I'm attending a conference this week in Nashville called yeah. Funnel Hacker Live. And somebody asked me, you know, what is your story? And I, and I share with them a part of my story is that I am that individual who was taught to go to school, go to college, get a great degree, get an advanced degree, get a job so on and so forth, but I incurred a lot of debt mm. doing that because I grew up in a single parent home and my mother really couldn't afford to pay for college. But what I shared with them was that I came to the realization for myself that entrepreneurship was going to be my solution to debt. And the reason why I bring that up is that I didn't consider <laughs> the part of the seasons of maybe going through that entrepreneurial poverty myself. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I think that that's a great conversation to have uh, and to segue into um, the rest of the podcast in dealing and, and addressing with this idea of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, I think the greatest day 
for many entrepreneurs is the day before you open the doors. The last day before starting the business is such a wonderful day because that's when our dreams are the biggest. You know, our, my company's gonna be a billion dollars in revenue or I'm gonna have all these locations and we can smell it, we can taste what the business is gonna act like, we can see the space. Then we open the doors the next day and it's the holy shit moment. Uh, I have no customers. Uh, mm. Everyone, all my friends that said they would buy from me, no one's buying from me. What the hell's going on? And this panic ensues. Very quickly, we become trapped by our business. I myself, in my companies, as I was growing them, I felt I had to carry them on my back. The only way to grow my businesses that I could fathom was to work harder, to be more and more, or have the business more and more dependent upon me. And that caused this perversive kind of experience that, that the only way to grow was for me to work harder. The only way for me to grow is to sacrifice my family more. The only way for me to grow is just to grind it out. And then I simply start to resent my businesses. So that's what this entrepreneurial poverty is, this kind of perverted perception of what we think success is yeah. and then having to drive it through our own effort. I actually challenge people, Markeith, when someone says they're an entrepreneur to me, I often say to them, well, let's not use that term anymore because it's become so bastardized. Mm -hmm. If you say you're a entrepreneur, that means you grind, it means you hustle, it means you drive, which I understand the good sentiment behind those ideas. I don't like them because we think that's the only way to grow. Work more, sacrifice ourselves more. I challenge people to no longer call themselves entrepreneurs. I challenge them to call themselves shareholders because that's what we really are. Mm -hmm. When we start a business, we, and maybe we started with a partner, we own a large portion of that business. Or if we started by ourselves, we own the entirety of the business. We own all the shares. And just like if I own public stock and whatever company, I took risk. I, I hope that stock's going to increase in value and therefore I'm going to get some gains. But I, I also realize that the stock value may plummet and then I'm going to lose my money. So that public company, they don't say, hey, Mike, come and start working for us. They don't say, you know, give us our money back. They simply say, thank you for taking the risk and reward me. That's right. what a shareholder gets. And that's how we have to perceive ourselves in our business. You, Markeith, I, we're both shareholders in our businesses. That's our right. primary goal should be the value of the organization increases. And we increase the value not by working harder, it's actually by extracting ourselves, by empowering employees to elevate the business, by choreographing the resources, the organization to achieve the outcomes we want. That's what we are. So I'm kind of against the term entrepreneur right now, even though everything I talk about is entrepreneurship, I love entrepreneurship. I just don't like that it's become this term of, of working our asses off. I, I just don't think that's a good approach. I think we're shareholders. I like the concept or the idea or the terminology of being a shareholder. So I know that you recently have a new book, but I want to kind of start with the book that I most recently read, which was your Profit First book. It really Thank opened you. my eyes to a different way of thinking of profit in the business. And I'm going to share just a little bit of story uh, with you. Uh, one of the things that I always never fully grasped was why would people be rewarded all the time in their business, especially in the small business um, industry for revenue generated, but nobody ever mentioned whether or not they profited. I know. I know. <laughs> What's it's, that about? Oh my, it's, it's our ego. It's the, it's human ego. And I fell into this trap hook, line and sinker. It was the, how big is it contest, you know? 
And so someone say, oh, you know, I just started a business and we're already doing $250,000 in revenue. And the beads of sweat would start forming in my head saying, I just started and I haven't made a single sale yet. So yeah. I would then say, I got to achieve 250. But I also started to believe that if I achieved, say, 250,000, that I would probably be taking home 250,000. <laughs> you know, when that number happened, I was taking home zero. In fact, I was actually spending money to get there. So then the insidious trap happened. Then I said, well, maybe it's when I hit 500,000. That's when I'll turn. So I started pushing revenue for 500. I got to that number and I actually had more debt. Got to a million because clearly once you have a million dollar business, you've made it. And no, that was not the answer. I was barely taking home a salary of 20,000. I could work more working a local job at Walmart than I could running a million dollar business. So then I thought it was two or five. And I got into this trap of, believing the solution to a healthy business is growth mm -hmm. and also getting caught up in the ego game of comparing to others. There's a saying that revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. I, I agree. Ooh, but I think good. Yeah, it's good. good. Revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. But I think there's another uh, analogy I prefer even more. I think revenue is actually stress. And here's why. Mm -hmm. The more revenue we generate in our business, the more obligation we have. Right. Mm -hmm. Every time I make a sale, I have to do something for that. I have to deliver a product or service. So as revenue increases, so does my obligation. Therefore, the stress on the organization increases. The more I sell, the more I'm responsible for. There's a reason why as your business gets bigger, you feel more compression in your chest. It's the manifestation of that stress. The, the solution or the relief valve is profit. So as we grow revenue, we have a responsibility to grow profit as quickly. And as we grow profit healthily, that is the, the relief mechanism that, that gets rid of that stress. It gives us confidence. I'll tell you how good it feels because I've been on both sides now. When there's no money and I have tons of sales, I am panicked to keep this business afloat. When I have sales and a good cushion of cash behind me, I'm making much more logical decisions. I'm not desperate anymore. I don't do desperate things. I'm much more focused and able to drive my business forward in a much more thought out method. I think we need to stop asking that how big is it question. The next yeah. time you see an entrepreneur, don't say, hey, how, how many employees do you have or what's your numbers? That's all how big is it? I would say, ask how healthy is it? You know, ask people, say, hey, tell me about your business. How healthy is it? You will get some deer in the headlights looks because people aren't thinking about that. And, and part of my mission is to have that be our first, fourth, our first thought is, is about the health of the business, the profitability of a business. Awesome. And so what do you mean um, by titling the book Profit First? So um, I think there's this formula out there that is totally bunk. It's, it's actually hurting every business that follows it. And sadly, it's the most common formula out there. In fact, it's pretty much the only formula used for profit. And what we're told is that profit comes last. The formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. And uh, Markeith, I don't have to tell you that. I know you know that. And right. anyone listening to it, we all know that's the formula for profit. In fact, I've now just kind of did a, a tertiary study, but I found that uh, it's in uh, thousands of books, like thousands of accounting books uh, say that uh, profit comes last. Mm. Here's the problem. I understand it at a logical level. Like you have to have sales. You have expenses you incur. So clearly the remainder is what's left over. That's profit. I understand it logically. The problem is behaviorally. When we say something comes last, we are saying it is insignificant. Like 
I suspect, Marquise, you've never stood in front of your family and said, you know what, starting today, my health comes last. Or <laughs> starting, starting today, I'm finally going to put our family last. No. no. I mean, that would be absurd. Right. We say, starting today, my health comes first. Mm. I'm going to put my family first. What is prioritized comes first. What's insignificant comes last. It's, it can be delayed forever. You know, I'll exercise later. I'm going to put that as the last thing of the day. In other words, we'll never do it because right. it's significant. We have been trained to put profit last. How it manifests for many of us is we wait till year end, you know, the accountant runs the numbers and says, sorry, no profit. Or even worse, they say, you had an accounting profit, but no cash left. And then we're like, damn, next year? Oh, maybe next year. And we literally delay profit for another 365 days. Why I called profit first, profit first, why I wrote that title is I want to flip the formula. The new formula is sales minus profit equals expenses. What we do is every time you have a sale in your organization, you immediately take a predetermined percentage, allocate that toward profit, hide it away from your business, run your business off the remainder. In the old formula where profit came last, we were told profit is an event. What I'm saying is profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. We're going to bake it into every transaction by taking it first. Bake it into every transaction by taking it first. Now, what will it take for an entrepreneur who has always done it the alternative way? What, what kind of mind shift is that? What, what, will, what will it take for them to shift their thinking on? Yeah. So, well, there's only two ways I found. Uh, <laughs> sadly, one of them is a traumatic event. Um, maybe we can talk about like uh, smokers. And, and I'm, I suspect, I'm not a smoker, but I suspect everyone that smokes knows how deadly and risky it is. There's, there's enough commercials out there that we all are educated on this. Yet some people still choose to smoke because it's an established habit. It's a process we follow. For those people, for many people, sadly, a traumatic event needs to happen, a heart attack, some major health scare, and then they're like, okay. And instantly they cut cold turkey. Sadly for businesses, some businesses need to go through that cardiac arrest event. We need to have that financial calamity of, laying off half our staff, or we have to shut the doors. Something that is so damaging, so terrifying, that it finally awakens us to, this ain't working anymore. I'm going to try something new. So for people to convert the mindset, sadly, some people will have to go through the traumatic event. The other people, I think, can manufacture that awareness. That's the other approach. Look at your history, and then look at your future. So look at your history saying, I've been in business for X years or months. How have I done with profitability? And I've talked, Marquise, with entrepreneurs. I've been in business for 10 years. And they said, I've never had a profit, really. I, I barely paid myself adequately. I'm, I've been struggling. And I say, okay, so let's really dig into that. Every year, it's not working. It's not working. You continue to do it. Now let's look into your future. If you continue this habit, how are you going to look five and 10 years from now? I mean, realistically. And they say, well, if I keep doing the same thing, it hasn't worked for 10 years. I, I think it's going to change, but realistically, it's not going to change. Holy crap, I am stuck in a pattern. Those people that have the aha by really analyzing their history and looking forward, that forces a manufactured traumatic event. And they're like, something has to change. When I can get people saying something has to change, mm -hmm. that's when their hearts and minds are open enough that I can introduce Profit First to them and they change. Awesome. So Profit First has certain principles and being one who has only been in business full-time for myself, I've been growing the business to the point where I could go full-time yeah. uh, last June. So I'm going on oh, nice. eight months now. Can you talk a little bit about, I think it's seven different accounts that you tell 
the entrepreneur, the business owner to open? And then just tell us why those accounts are important. Yeah. So I'll start off with the why it's important. So uh, there's a method that's been around since the early ages, and it's called uh, the envelope system. Uh, my mother actually did this in our family. This is where I learned about it. And she would, uh, she worked at a local factory. When she'd come home and cash in her check, um, it would be split up and deposited into multiple physical envelopes. She had one to cover the rent. My mother one had one for the mortgage, uh, for the rent, another one for food, another one for um, give back to our church and so forth. She would then divide this money up into different accounts. When she went food shopping, Markeith, she would grab the food envelope, go to the food store, and then work with what was in there. And she always had enough money, um, but don't confuse that with having the same amount of money. You know, she worked part-time, so sometimes when she worked overtime, there was more to be divided up. When she was sick or couldn't work, there was less to be divided up. So sometimes there was a lot of rice for dinner when there wasn't much money, or it was a pretty nice dinner when there was more. She made do with what was in that envelope. That's the key to the system. What I did is I translated it into business. And what we do is we set up, to your point, ultimately seven accounts, five at your current bank. Here's the five envelopes. At every, and, I, and this has to be done, by the way, at your bank. Because what I found is our natural behavior for many business owners, if you're like me, I yank out my phone, you know, honestly, two or three times a day, seeing if I have any money in my bank account. That's how I, how I run my business. I call it bank balance accounting. And if I have money, I spend it. And if I don't, then you know, panic ensues. So what I do is, since that's my natural path, I need to intercept my natural behavior. I set up five accounts at my existing bank. The first account's called income. They'll act as a serving tray. Money will flow into your business, accumulate there, and then be allocated out to these other accounts. Second account's called profit. Profit is an account uh, that we reserve money to reward the shareholder, what we talked about earlier. This is not because you're working the business. It's because you had the courage to start the business. That's what a shareholder is. And we're going to reward you for conceiving this business or investing into it through sweat equity or money. That's what the profit account is. The next account's called owner's compensation. This is for what's called the owner operator. Marquise, you're one, you started a business, but you also serve the business. You're working the business. I'm an owner operator too. I started the business. I'm working inside the business. We, I would argue for our businesses are the best employee that our company will ever have. Like no one has your drive, Marquise. You know, good luck finding one of your team members to leave a conference to come do this thing. <laughs> you know, that's remarkable, but you did it because you're the best employee your company will ever have. Right. Um, we have to treat ourselves that way. Sadly, many owners don't treat themselves the best employee. They treat everyone else as the best employee, but they don't care for themselves. And mm -hmm. if we don't pay ourselves a consistent salary, it's only a matter of time before we resent our business. So this third account, owner's compensation, is to give you a predictable salary. Profit is a reward above and beyond for being a shareholder. Next account, the fourth account is called tax. We've started our business hopefully for two reasons. One is it's something you're passionate about. You're of service to other people. You get joy out of it. Secondly, hopefully you're doing this for financial freedom. Mm -hmm. And financial freedom, the definition is we don't have to worry about money. That's what this account is going to do. The tax account reserves ta money for your personal taxes. So when tax, the tax man comes and they come around every quarter or at the end of the year, your business will pay the taxes on your behalf. And this is, by the way, possible regardless of the type of corporation you have. You have to do a different setup if you have an S-corp or C-corp. You do what's called a reimbursement distribution, or you can pay directly if you have an LLC. But you set up the business to pay for taxes. The fifth account at your primary bank is called your OPEX account. This is the envelope you run the business off of. Okay. And so 
how this works is they're all percentage based. If a thousand dollar deposit comes in today, it used to be I'd log into my phone and say, oh, I have a thousand dollars. I can spend a thousand dollars on my business. But now, since the money gets carved up, a thousand dollars comes in, and I realize, oh, I have five hundred dollars from my business because some's gone to tax, some has gone to pay myself. Now I have to work within the confines of that envelope. So I very quickly know what my money is available for before I spend it. That's the power of the system. And we don't have to change. We keep logging to our bank accounts. Mm-hmm. Two more accounts real quick. At a second bank, I suggest we put holding accounts, one for profit to accumulate, one for taxes to accumulate. The thing is, as that profit goes into our primary account, we just don't want it sitting there because it can get kind of tempting. If I can't pay bills one day, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just borrow you know, just, just for myself for a day. And if we borrow from ourselves, we'll never pay it back. It actually defeats the system. So we're going to carve this money up into the different envelopes, but then we're going to invoke a transfer from our primary bank to a backup secondary bank that's out of sight, out of mind, reserve that money there for profit, do the same thing for taxes. Let them accumulate over here at the second bank, and then when it comes to profit distribution time, rewarding the shareholder, we take a portion of that out and give it as a bonus check. When it comes to tax time, that money goes out to pay taxes, but it's never in front of you because you log into your primary bank so you're not focusing on that money accumulating up there. What you're focusing on is the operating expenses, the lifestyle of the business, and you're focusing on paying yourself a salary, the lifestyle of the entrepreneur. Wow. A lot of accounts. You know, my, my last question yeah. uh, with Profit First is, what, what would you say to that person who says, who's going to let me open up seven different accounts? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Marquise, I'm happy you said that because most people are like, this, this is too much. It's overwhelmed. You know, if I go to a bank, they're going to laugh at me. My accountant will resist it. I get it. I get it. And, and people hear this and say it's overwhelming and, and they're skeptical. And I get it. Um, you can do this. I, I actually have more than seven accounts now. But I suggest you step into it slowly. It's like I'm, I'm trying to run a marathon. I, I have a coach helping me out part time. And my first session with the coach, I said, I want to run a marathon. He said, okay, on our first day of practice, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to run a marathon. Because <laughs> the first day of practice, you learn how to stretch and you learn proper form for running. But we don't run a marathon until we get very close to it. And that's what we have to do with Profit First. You know the entire Profit First system. But if you start this way from day one, whew, we are in trouble. It's overwhelm. You're running a marathon without stretching. You're going to be injured. So the first step is just set up one account. Go to your existing bank and call, ask them to set up one savings account. Call it Profit. Then starting today, allocate 1% of your income. So, you know, a thousand bucks come in. I'm saying take 10 bucks, put it in the profit account. And when the magic that happens here is if you can run your business off a thousand bucks, you can run your business off 990 bucks. But we started allocating money toward profit. The profit starts to accumulate. You start building that muscle. You're now stretching the business. I just know it's a matter of time before that 1% in profit. You go, maybe try 2% or three. Let me try another account and you'll build to those seven accounts and maybe even beyond over time, maybe over three months, maybe over six, maybe over a year. What matters though is starting this morning or t- next time, you know, when you listen to this, you can literally get profit in your business permanently by doing that one simple step, allocating money to our profit account and doing nothing else. Just taking one step and then allowing the momentum to happen along the way. That's right. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you for sharing that on Profit First, this first half of our interview. Our second half, we're going to talk about Mike's latest book, Clockwork, which I learned about at a conference I attended in Atlanta, and I'm excited to read that one pretty soon. We'll be right back. 
Did you know that adding promotional products into the mix of your marketing initiatives can increase the effectiveness of your brand by up to 44%? Using promotional products is a great way to break the ice with a potential customer, as they'll be more likely to listen to what you'll have to say. If you can get their attention and keep it, you probably have the power to follow through with the sale. That's why I use Logo My Logo for all of my promotional products. If you're ready to take your brand to the next level and get the attention of your next potential customer, then use Logo My Logo for all your promotional products. Just go to the number 2, LogoMyLogo.com. That's the number 2, LogoMyLogo.com. And just let them know, Markeith sent you. All right, welcome back. We are here with Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First and also Clockwork, which we're going to spend some time talking about this second half of the podcast. So, Mike, go right ahead and, and tell us a little bit about Clockwork. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back again for the second segment. <laughs> so you know, when we were talking on the first segment, we were talking about this concept of entrepreneurial poverty and how entrepreneurs struggle with profitability, money in their own pocket. That's the definition of classic poverty. But I think there's an even more insidious poverty we have, which is time poverty. Mm. I, I am not a proponent for grind, hustle. I, I understand the reason behind those terms. I mean, there's good sentiment. The problem behind those terms is entrepreneurs more and more believe they need to carry the business on their own back, that the business is me and I am the business. There used to be a saying that uh, a business is a parent-child relationship. You know, you gave life, Marquise, to your business. Therefore, you're the parent of it. It's your child. You're nurturing it. You're protecting it. You're growing it. And one day, this business will return to you. And I call bullshit on that. Uh, our, we are conjoined twins with our business. Like we share critical organs. Uh, we share a, a lifeline. We, we share legs. And therefore, the separation of ourselves from the business is a very careful and surgical process. That's what clockwork is about. It's about extracting the entrepreneur from the business they've created to make the business run on itself and therefore make the business extremely valuable because it becomes that ATM. You can now go on the beach and live your life and, and experience life itself as the business grows. That's the goal. It is not an easy process, but it is a simple process. And my outline and clockwork, hopefully people will see very simple, not easy to do, but simple to follow along. And if you stick with it, you will transition from working or doing the work in your business to designing the outcomes you want. That's good. You know, one of my business buddies, he was sharing with me, as I stated, I just recently kind of went full time, not kind of, I did go full time in my business. Yeah. And he was sharing with me that right now, Marquise, you, you are, you're doing good, but right now you're working in the business. Yeah. yeah. Really want to graduate towards working more on the business. Yeah. 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 Part of it, part of it though, is in the beginning, we must work in the business. Mm -hmm. Like when I started my company, I was the only employee. It is just me. And I can't, I could sit back and say, I have these wonderful ideas. I'm going to make these come true without doing anything, but that's not going to move the business forward. In the beginning, we have to do the work. We do have to serve the clients. We do have to make the big sales and the small sales and everything in between. But it does also become a trap. It forms what I call the superhero syndrome. The, the superhero syndrome, if you watch, you know, Superman, we talked about this actually at the conference, or Wonder Woman, or, you know, Black Panther's the rage now. Whatever superhero you watch, the humanity becomes dependent upon that superhero. Everyone's like, oh, please, Black Panther, save me. Oh, Superman, please come in and save me. And Superman swoops in, 
defeats, you know, Lex Luthor or whatever. But here's the problem. You know, the, the military, the police don't learn how to defend themselves. In fact, they become less capable and they try to get a hotline to the superhero of the day. Um, the, uh, uh, the wake of destruction. I don't know if you watched the Black Panther movies. Mm-hmm. Like the massive destruction. It's, it's Wonder Woman. I, I saw a movie recently. Massive destruction. I, I've yet to see the movie of the 50 years of rehabilitating New York City, but they should make a movie because that's what mankind has to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we as entrepreneurs experience the same thing. Mm-hmm. We become superheroes. We swoop in and fix the day because we're, we're raised on this. This is what you're doing. This is what I'm doing but very quickly it becomes an anchor around our, an- our ankle because we keep on swooping in. We disable our employees from elevating, from leading the company. We, we leave a wake of damage behind us and we don't even see it and our employees have to clean it up. What we need to do is transition out of the superhero syndrome. And mm-hmm. one step is don't consider yourself a superhero, consider yourself a supervisionary. Always be very clear on the outcomes you want. Maybe it's a revenue number, maybe it's a feel and taste, if you will, for the business always be moving toward that. And every time you look at that vision, make decisions today that will move you closer and closer toward that. Initially, yes, you have to do the work, but very quickly, we need to bring on colleagues that are now doing the work and we're empowering them. We're directing them. We're choreographing and organizing our team to achieve that outcome we have. That's the role we need to move to, a supervisionary. So someone like me who's just getting started, what are some counseling or coaching tips that you would give that new entrepreneur to start even developing the mindset of clockwork? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is, uh, and we talked about this earlier, I would change my label. I would be very careful about calling myself an entrepreneur. I, I understand it, but I think the term has been so bastardized now that we are behaving in a way that we think would carry the business. So I just start saying I'm a shareholder. I'm first and foremost a shareholder, which means I need to bring on resources carefully and selectively over time. I can't afford to bring on tons of people, whatever, but in small pieces to start building this up as a true shareholder. The second thing I do is I'd analyze what's called the 4D mix. This is what the 4D mix is. Every business goes through four distinct stages. Actually, all these stages have to be active at all times. It's just the entrepreneur themselves needs to elevate them. The first stage we already talked about, it's called doing. Doing is where we do work that derives benefit to our customers, or we do work that supports deriving benefits to our customers. So if I was a uh, window washer, you know, the cleaning of windows is doing work, but also invoicing, marketing, um, hiring, all that stuff supports our ability to wash windows. That's all doing level work. The next level up is called deciding. And deciding often happens when you bring on the first couple employees, virtual help and so forth. This is where we give them tasks. We say, okay, your task is to invoice, for example. I had a, a gal I hired, her name was Jackie. I said, Jackie, do the invoices. And then I gave her some direction. Very quickly, she came back and had questions. How do I sort the names? And I gave her a direction on that. And she came back later, how do we bill and what kind of increments? And I gave her direction. That constant feedback of deciding for her, giving her direction on how to do things, in the beginning, is necessary. But very quickly, it becomes kind of ridiculous. Like she has a relentless stream of questions. I started thinking this person who was better than sliced bread in the beginning is like stale bread. She, like she an idiot or something? She can't figure this out. And I was getting frustrated. But the problem wasn't Jackie. It was totally me. I was giving her tasks, but not the authority to make decisions around those tasks. In fact, I was encouraging her to come back because I was answering her questions. It's safer for Jackie to come back and ask questions because now she can do no wrong. 
So that's the decision-making phase. We need to navigate through that to what's called delegation. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs say they're delegating when they're really not. Delegation is the assignment of outcomes. It, instead of telling Jackie, go do invoicing, I now was saying, hey, Jackie, it's important that we bill our clients accurately and timely. And you understand the value in that. And she'd have to respond and tell me why. And she'd say, well, you know, if we bill timely, we're collecting money quickly for us and we need that to sustain. And if we bill accurately, we're being fair to our customers. So they need that. So we have to bill timely and accurately. I said, great, we agree. Now we have a best practice. I gave her our invoicing process. I said, but as you go through this process, if you see opportunities for improvement, improve it. If you have questions, figure it out. If you won't have to make a decision, you decide. It's the transfer of decision-making. And it was Jackie's tendency, because I had trained her initially that I would decide she was coming in for questions. She immediately came in with questions. And I had to have the fortitude to no longer say, here's what you do. Instead, I say, well, what's your decision? I had to push the decision back upon her. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs know they need to do this, but struggle in doing it. But there's even a higher level in the delegation phase that almost no one does, yet is the most important. And this highest level of delegation is not just the assignment of outcomes, it is the approval of all decisions they make. So when Jackie was making decisions, even if she made some bad decisions, I still had to say, you know what, Jackie, that's awesome. Go for it. Let's try it out. Let's do it. And by supporting all her decisions, she was able to self-correct. She actually made a, a decision in invoicing that didn't serve us. She then made an adjustment that did serve us, but she would have never discovered it if I made the decisions and she would have never felt empowered if I didn't keep on saying, you got this, you got this, you got this. So delegation is the assignment of outcomes and the cheerleading of our team to make decisions and take leadership. Then the highest level that you, we wanna all move into as we build our business as entrepreneurs, is called the design level. The design level is the clarity on the outcome we want for our organization and it's the choreographing of resources, our people, uh, our vendors, even our clients, or, or orchestrating them to achieve the outcomes we want. But there's a big component to this. It's not just what we want, it's what we collectively want. A lot of entrepreneurs like, you know, will come out with their big, hairy, audacious goal. We're gonna achieve $10 million in revenue this year and tell your employees, is everyone excited about this? This is amazing. And everyone's like, uh, whatever, like, you know, they give that one-handed clap. Right, They're like, hmm. right. <laughs> no one gives a crap about my goal. Listen, if we achieve 10 million, I'll get a new car. That's like, that, that's what I'm thinking. They don't care. So what choreographing resources means, knowing the, the drivers for every single one of my colleagues. So I know Amy, one of the people that work here, she just wants a job that's highly, highly flexible. Her husband travels for work all the time. When she's home, she wants to be home. When there's no one home, she wants to work. So her schedule can change on the dime because that's how his schedule is. So we set up an environment that she can work whenever she wants. And when she's here, she's driving business forward. But the second uh, her husband or her kids even come home, she's leaving the office. Well, she's thrilled. She's empowered. She's getting what she wants. So now she sees that as we grow this, she'll only get more of what she wants. So she's empowered. And we've done this with every one of my employees here. It's the, the realization that everyone has a common or everyone has their own individual individual dreams and making a common path to make them all come true. And hence the name clockwork. And this is just my own personal take on it is that everybody wants a business, hopefully that will run like clockwork, whether uh -huh. you are in it, on it or away from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that. <laughs> in it, on it or away from it. Yeah. I love it. And that is the vision is, um, you know, when a business runs like clockwork, 
that means there's no dependency on us, which gives us the ultimate freedom. I mean, the day may happen that as an owner, we get sick or we're unable to serve the business or there's an emergency we have to cater to, or maybe God forbid, we just want to take a nice vacation. And sadly, so many businesses are in the position where we can't even do that. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I used to go on a week's vacation to the local beach and would get all excited about it, but then realize, oh my gosh, I have overwhelming amounts of work. So I'm going to do what I call the cram and scramble technique. The week leading up to that vacation, I would work so hard just to get everything off my plate, clean things up, hoping that that would bridge me until I return. And of course, when I return, work has started piling up again, I would scramble to catch up. Well, that's no vacation. That's not a business that runs like clockwork or on its own. That's simply a simple game I'm playing. Mm -hmm. What we need to design is a business that if we take an extended absence for a week, two weeks, a month, or a year, that the business continues to grow in our absence. That's the goal. Here's the beauty. When you achieve it, and, and in Clockwork, I outlined the seven steps to get to that level. Once a business is running on automatic and there is no dependency on you, you as the entrepreneur have the right, because you own the business, if you get joy out of working, you can reinsert yourself in the business in the way you want. You can just do whatever gives you the most joy within your business. And when you want to experience life, because we are in business to support life, we are not in life to support business, when, when you want to enjoy life, whatever it is, you have the freedom to remove yourself back out and do whatever. Here's the best, best part. When the day comes when you want to sell the business, and I've had the, the blessing now to sell a couple of businesses, you will get the biggest premium when there's no dependency on you. Because if I was buying your business, Markeith, I don't want to depend on you. If, 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 I, if you decide to take off or you get sick and the business gets hurt, that's risky to me for me to purchase. But I know if I buy your business, and if you take off, the business will hum along. Whew, I'll pay top dollar for that. That's why we want a business to run like clockwork. Wow. Well, Mike, I know you are extremely busy, gentlemen. So I just want to thank you once again for joining me on the Marquis Brayton podcast. I know you didn't have to agree to do it, but you did agree. And I am overjoyed and ecstatic that you did. And so before we go, what would you say to that budding and that seasoned shareholder today about their business as some words of encouragement. Yeah, well, I, I first want to reciprocate and to say thank you, Mark Keith. It was a pleasure meeting you at TPS. I, I forgot we met right in, we met in the step and repeat section. Yes. Now, I remember at yeah. the end, yeah. and uh, I, it's a blessing to to speak with you. So thank you for having me. You're I, welcome. You're, well, thank you. I think that when it comes to every entrepreneur is. I believe the entrepreneurial dream is in the grasp of everyone. And it's shockingly easier than we expect. We bring complexity to things. We think things have to be hard. They don't. Now, let me say this. When I say easy, I'm not saying like you snap your fingers and money falls in your pocket. It never works that way. There are simple systems out there that if you follow them, they will bring the results. So here's my word of encouragement. If you're at a point in your business that you're frustrated and something's not working, that is the challenge we need to fix research that thing out. Maybe you have a problem with profit, then look out, look for things that serve that. Maybe, maybe profit first will be your solution, maybe something else. If you have a problem with hiring, you can't find people, seek to serve that. Unfortunately, I haven't written that book, at least yet, but someone has, the resources are out there. Find the best resources, pinpoint your biggest challenge and just smack it in the face and your business will grow, I assure you. Pinpoint the biggest challenge and smack it in the face and you'll go far. Thanks, Mike, for joining me again. Marquis, thank you. All right, take care.
What a great interview that was with Mike Michalowicz. I am so appreciative that he decided to take just a little bit of time out to share with us today. Why don't you go on and jump over to iTunes and leave me a review of today's episode. Let us know what you thought, what you took away, and how you're going to apply some of the things that Mike talked about in this interview. Also, go ahead and pick up his books if you haven't already read them, Profit First and Clockwork. I have started rereading again. I actually have the audiobook of Profit First, and it tremendously has helped me to think differently about my own business and how I will incorporate all of the different accounts to make sure that I, my foundation for my business is solidified. I thank you for joining me this week again for the Markeith Brayton Podcast. I don't take you for granted and I don't take your time for granted that you give that to me once a week on Tuesdays. I look forward to providing you a brand new episode on next week. And just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded.